0: Hello, and welcome to the Big 12 Country Podcast, where four guys in jockstrap will be covering college football and providing content and HSOs from around the Big 12.
1: Alright guys, welcome back to the Big 12 Country Podcast. I'm your host, Corey, and uh, joining me at the table tonight, we got Kendall. Hello. And Colin. Hi guys. And we got jockstrap with us again, as usual. Hello. And, uh, you know, not, not really a huge news week. Uh, I know we kind of had some other things come, you know, come up in the news in recent weeks that we could talk about. wasn't a whole lot, especially in the way of the Big 12, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff out there we could get into. Um, I do wanted to get into Art Bryle's thoughts at some point. Um, you know, we can do that. Or his comments. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that, the Baylor article that came out this week. Yes. Uh, but we may save that for the Baylor show or something uh but uh you know the, nationally as far as things that came out this week the first thing that i saw that really struck me uh we got the results back on the holinsky situation uh tyler holinsky quarterback washington state uh committed suicide earlier this year um this the, the the line that really got me uh you know he's 21 years old and his brain basically was the shape of a 65 year olds um where do you guys uh to me this one's a little more serious i think I think parents can kind of eat a little more easily distance themselves from the NFL and stuff sometimes with, when they make the decisions for these kids and, you know, the future of the, the youth football and all that. But, uh, you know, th- to me, this feels a little closer to home, being 21 years old. Um, and then if you, you know, the fact he barely even played in college, I think he played like four games um, and not even all of the fourth one. Um, you know, he did have a history uh, as a younger kid, He played linebacker and stuff like that and eventually became a quarterback in high school. But. Um, I don't know just you guys does, do you feel like there's any more impact have we been imp- impacted enough is there any more room for impact do you think things will go back the other way I mean what, what do you think
2: well I mean I, I'm just thinking about like whenever I was coaching youth football this is like just a few years ago whenever the, the, the whole CTE thing started coming out and, and you know there was sort of more emphasis on it we, we took a course uh, on, on concussions as a group and they started talking about the signs of concussions and then we started realizing as like you know, third and fourth, fifth grade coaches. Oh man, our, some of our kids in the past were showing signs of these things, and we didn't really realize that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that was my eye-opening moment of like, uh, you know, even at young ages, these kids are, are susceptible to those things. And it it was kind of eye-opening, and then to see something like this, you know, a 21 year old kid mm-hmm. ha- have a brain of, of an elderly man due to this, it's it's scary. I mean, to be honest, like if you're a parent. You you have to take this consideration and kind of you know think about could my son be in this predicament? It's it's a it's a scary thing. This one hits home a lot closer because I when you have kids that are younger and then you know, have a teenager, so it's like they're just you know my oldest son's seventeen, so you're talking four years. Mm-hmm. I mean you know this kid commits suicide. It, it's just it's a scary thought to me.
1: Yeah, and you know and I can only imagine what his parents are going through because he has an older brother who is now he's going to be a doctor he's like a brain surgeon or trying to, try to be a brain surgeon and he wants to focus on CT and all that but he has a younger brother who's 17 who has just accepted a scholarship and i'm forgetting who's the new school coming around in 2019 i can't think of the school now i've completely gone blank there's a school coming in 2019 a new college and he's going to be the quarterback for him and i can only imagine what his parents are going through like that's because they gave him the choice of what he wanted to do and he said he was going to play so um, I can't imagine I don't know I mean I don't have a son so this is a little different for me I have two daughters and I don't plan on having any more so um it's not really something I have to worry about so much but I know you guys have sons so right i, I mean
0: it, it puts you in an interesting position as a parent because especially like with me my my kids are still pretty young so they haven't really got into little league football and everything yet now I know they start playing tackle football down here at least where we're at you can start playing i think as early as first, first grade, grade yeah which yeah, which to me is crazy yeah I mean' on crazy I, I won't let him make the decision to play football until probably fourth or fifth grade, even even then, I don't know. But, you know, flag football is an option. I think they should really push that at a young age because you could teach a lot of stuff just fundamentally without having them take people to the ground and pads and everything. I, I did want to mention one thing that I saw today. Uh, there is I, I don't know if it's a rule that's already been implemented or if it's just under discussion, but the NFL is talking about putting in a rule with – it's just if you lower your head going into a hit. So it impacts defensive players. It impacts offensive players. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have a wide receiver that catches the ball, turns around, and, and faces and prepares for contact, lowers his head. Well, that's a 15-yard penalty. So eventually I think this is going – the head-to-head is going to be taken out of the game. And I don't know, you know, what does football look like after that? I don't know if it's the same game, you know.
2: It, yeah. It's really a fine line because, I mean, just – if you look at just the natural tackle motion, you, mm-hmm. you 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 if you're leaning forward to hit with your shoulders, your head goes forward. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no there's no other way around yep. it. It's a so, huge. Gray area. Yeah, it's 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 going to be really difficult. Not only to, uh, I mean, to, to the hardest part to me is going to be what how the rule is even implemented and how do you judge that rule. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting going. I mean, I I'm glad they're taking precautions and taking this situation seriously, but. I don't know where the fine line is of between you know ru- running football but also protected players. It's like a fine line th- that we're getting ready to get into. That's going to be going forward is going to be really interesting to see what happens.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean they're going to you know they're talking about eliminating kickoffs and all that, which I hope they don't. I I don't want the game to look that much different. But um, you know if they I guess they go spot the ball at the twenty every time. I have no idea yeah. what their plan is there, but. Um, you know, there's things they're doing to try to do it to get it better, but I, I don't know. This one, I think this one's gonna get more people's attention, though. I really do. Uh, I think when it's been a bunch of retired NFL players in a lot of cases that they cut their heads open, that people didn't really worry so much about it. But um, yeah, because they think
2: they think that 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 most of that injuries probably happen NFL wise, mm-hmm. not. At a younger age, where this kind of opens the floodgates of, whoa, wait a minute, these, these this is a really young kid. I'm glad, well,
1: I'm glad you said that because there was a, I just, I'd forgotten there was a, a another podcast I was listening to this week, and I guess they had talked to a guy did the report on it and talked to a doctor, and he said the thing to remember or the thing that he learned through talking all doing all these interviews, um, people, and I and I didn't know this, not something i had even really thought about, you know, you you go watch a Pee Wee football game and you know say they're nine years old and they're hitting each other and it doesn't really seem like much of anything he said that the important thing to remember is that it's scaled down for them what doesn't look bad is just as bad as two guys in the nfl taking their heads off yeah that's a good because point. they have an underdeveloped brain you know it's young it's still a lot of growing it needs to do it's you know it, it needs all that and they said that you know what looks like just a bounce off and go for you know, to you and the stands is not this, is, is the same as two guys in the NFL going after each other. So, yeah. and that's something that I hadn't really ever thought about.
2: Well, and another thing is, is like, whatever your coach at that age, the main thing that you're thinking about is like neck injury. So, you're always talking about how to protect your neck and everything like that. Now we're talking about, you know, head. You know, it was okay to bump heads before, but now that's changing. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting going forward what they do with these younger coaches, with, with teaching these younger kids, like, are, will they develop more learning class, you know, class situations or different things for these coaches to take to understand what goes on? Because I honestly, I don't think the vast majority of parents and, you know, young coaches understand the seriousness of like you're saying at nine years old, it's the same train wreck as an NFL, just, just on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that's something that people don't understand at that age.
1: Colin, you anything else you want to say on it?
0: No, it's just, it's, a tough situation, and I don't know if anybody knows a clear answer for for where to go from here right now.
1: No, I mean, obviously, I don't know how you get to this point. At some point, there's going to have to be a technology or something that identifies this crap before it kills somebody. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we get there because they have to cut their brain open to find it now, so I don't know. But there are signs people are starting to put together as they've had enough cases with people that were living Uh, You know, signs where they change suddenly, like in this case. And if if you haven't read the story, if you haven't read the article, I highly suggest go to Sports Illustrated and read their version of it. They did a full length article on it um, where they followed the parents right after the death and then now adding to it with what we found out. Um, That's where I put a lot of my stuff from. But yeah, go to sportsillustrated.com and just search for it. They um they, they did a, i mean sit down because it's an article if you're not somebody who wants to read don't do it but it's it's they really get into it it's, and it's really good far.
2: yeah it's it's, tell you another thing, it's it's really scary because I, as someone who's doing this podcast obviously we love football i mean it's, it's something that we all enjoy watching being a part of talking about it's it's been a part of our lives now and it, it but you know at the same time you got to balance that out with you know not taken away from the game, but also, I mean, these are human beings. I mean, mm-hmm. it's that fine line, and it's it's really it's going to be a difficult thing trying to figure out going forward. But I mean, I I love the game of football, but at the same time, I don't want to see things like this happen. This is this is not good.
1: No, and uh, you know, uh, I I kind of. I kind of hope it at least starts getting the attention of the youth levels to start bringing the age up on some. Like I know we tried the flag football thing in the community we live in a couple of years ago with the young young ages, and I think after like two years it pretty much faded out. But
2: well, and I, I'll be honest with you, as as coaching those kids, the parents were the hardest ones because they felt like their kid should be making all these tackles. Their kid, you know, some kids are just not ready. You know, they would want to force them into being these animal. You know, the, mm. you know the, the, these Guys that go out there and play the big hit and stuff. These badasses,
1: they think they were. Right, right,
2: mm-hmm. and it, and it's almost like you, you lose reality sometimes that the kid's nine years old or ten years. You know, like mm-hmm. like t- pump the brakes a little bit. It, you know, that that's going to be the hardest part is getting the parents to buy into it because they think it's it's like anything else. Like that's not going to happen to my kid. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot of people's philosophy when it comes to these things. Well, my kid is not going to be the, the one to get hurt, but anybody's getting hurt. It's 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 going to be interesting going forward. I know that.
1: The hardest part, I don't. If in terms of changing the game or not changing the game, I don't know that you're ever going to be able to get it out of the uh, offensive-defensive line play. Just the, the terms of firing off the ball every time, you know, you're supposed to make that initial contact. That's part of how they train you to play the position. Um, you know, now some of the cases of pass blocking and stuff, especially in the Big 12, there's a lot more hand separation that takes place. But anybody that's a physical run, look at the SEC linemen. I mean, mm-hmm. they go through it probably more than anybody. Um, just the continual beat after play after play, you know, especially at like a place like LSU. Uh, so you know that that would be in terms of changing the game. I don't know how you ever get rid of that and still play football.
2: Well, you know, and another thing I think people miss too is the the one thing we learned in I took those classes. It wasn't necessarily the hit that was the problem. It's whenever they hit the ground and they have no way to brace themselves, and their head their head slapping the mm-hmm. ground. That's that's what the vast majority of the concussions was coming from is the the hit on the ground. And, I mean, I don't really know, e- even if you take out the head port, you know, the, the head to head contact, you know, contact, that's, that's, that's still going to happen. So mm-hmm. it's going to be, I'm hoping maybe even technology with helmets, different things, maybe some kind of computer chips in the helmets or something eventually that kind of, you know, alarm th- this kid's taking too much impact and get them out of the game. Um, I'm hoping maybe technology will also take a big step forward here and, and help eliminate some of these issues going forward. Yeah. Uh, I
1: And I feel like, You know if the game can survive in its current form for long enough eventually i think answers will come um the human race is amazing over time it it figures out it seems like everything um you know not that long ago aids was a death sentence you know things like that so i mean uh you know there there, there's a good chance some people are going to put this together and figure it out it's just does the game last long enough to do that i don't know um anyway something the other thing i want to kind of talk about real quick that we didn't get to talk about before we move on to tcu um like, I think it was last week, if I'm getting my da- not getting my dates crossed, they announced a couple more bowl games being added uh, in 2020, one of them taking place in Wrigley Field, uh, the other one in Myrtle Beach, and there's a third one that's still in the works they're trying to figure out. Um, I don't think it's a topic we've ever really talked about much on here. Are there, you know, I know there's a lot of people saying it. Are there too many bowl games? Do you care?
0: Yes, there are way too many bowl games. At some point... Bowl games should be a reward for having a good season. At some point, when you're starting to pull all these teams in that are five and seven, you're like, "Oh, they have to meet whatever. They have to get a high enough score, academic wise, to qualify for them at a, with the losing record." But really, I mean, is a team that's five and seven really deserve to go to a bowl game?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, and an interesting thing too is from a coach's point of view, you you like it because that gives you an extra, you know, two weeks, three weeks of practice that mm-hmm. you don't you don't get if you don't go to a bowl game. And so, I mean, I I can see – it depends it depends on who you're asking. I mean, if you're just asking the general fan, I'm going to say 100% there's way too many bowl games. But if you're asking me if, I, if I'm a coach for a team, no, nah, put me in a bowl game because that's going to give me extra time out there on the field. So, I mean, it's kind of like one of those things where it depends on which side of the fence you're on.
0: But at some point, does it become more of a punishment to the 20 teams that don't qualify for a bowl than a reward <laughs> yeah. for the yeah. you know, 115 that do qualify?
2: Yeah, that, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, you right. I mean, at this
0: point, it's really – all it is is money. That's all it's about.
1: Well, I, nobody's watching these games. I, well, or going to the well, games. Not, yeah, nobody's going to the, a lot of them. Um, Everybody's gambling. As far as watching goes, um, <laughs> a lot of them do decent ratings. They do better than college basketball, or far better than college baseball, or anything like that. So, I mean, people are watching them. I don't know to what degree they consider that worth it. Well, I just um, look back to that
0: game that was uh, was at Central Michigan and Tulsa. They played in the uh, whatever Miami whatever bowl. And it was like three o'clock in the hour, or like one o'clock in the afternoon on mm-hmm. like a Wednesday.
1: Yeah, and well, you couldn't even I mean, watch that. I don't. I don't know. It's it does not something really bothers me anymore. In the beginning, it kind of did. Um, I you know I, I feel like they could do a better job matching some of these up. Like instead of the two five and seven teams from the WAC and the Sun Belt, maybe. Let's take one of the ten and, or maybe not that good, maybe eight and four teams from the WAC or some belt against or whatever there is now the American Conference, whatever, against um, the five and seventeen from the Big Twelve. You know, maybe find a way to maybe match this up a little bit better to make it a little bit more interesting instead of you know. And I don't know, but then have all got conference ties and everything else. So well, that's, that's but then you also have to think,
0: how do you sell tickets for that um, eight and four MAC team is going to play a five and seventeen?
1: Well, I I think the Big 12 team would be enough that they'd be okay with it. It's got to be more than what they're doing now, bringing, say, like Wyoming versus UCF. I mean, in the Bahamas. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, a a Big 12, a bigger conference team, if they would match up some more of them, I think would bring more people at least. And you might be right. And it's a reward for the kids, too. You got to remember that. They all get the stuff. They work their butts off. They get whatever's given out, you know, whether it's watches or eye slides or backpacks or whatever. Um,
0: Participation trophy culture, man. Yeah, it's I mean, and, and five I, and seventeen does not deserve that stuff.
1: A guy wrote an article this week that he was talking about, and I I thought it was kind of funny. He said going back and looking at it, it's this has always been the complaint ever since the Rose Bowl started, you know, being the original one. And then I think he said like in nineteen thirty seven or something, or something like that. They is when they added the Sugar Bowl and the Orange Bowl, and everybody complained. He said it's literally been the entire <laughs> history of the bowl games. There's always been too many bowl games after the Rose Bowl. I agree um, with those people. Should have stopped at one. He said he even found a quote from Barry Switzer. I think it was in 78-ish, somewhere in that ballpark, uh, where, um, you know, he said something along the lines of, I would never take our, you know, eight-win team or four-loss team or something like that to a bowl game. And three years later it happened because they had a team that wasn't quite as good as they had been. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's something for people to complain about. Um, but I I don't know it doesn't bother me like it used to I don't, well, I do think there's got to eventually be a cap which they're trying to work on the new committee made some new rules as far as how many games or bowls you can be tied to as a conference and on and on and on so
2: well I mean really what you said a while ago about comes down to money is it if it's not if it's losing ratings it's losing money they won't have them but apparently people are tuning in and there's money being made so mm-hmm. they're they're going to keep doing it until there's not I mean it's just which is the nature of the beast
1: yeah and and it's important to remember too a lot of these lower ones they disappear and we sometimes don't even notice um you know we may not we still may not end up with 43 or whatever it is in 2020 because we may lose the Papa com bowl or whatever you know that couldn't give it sponsor so i mean
0: yeah but most of the time those it's like the you have the more morris oil field supply bowl gets replaced by the Okmulgee mcdonald's bowl mm-hmm. Like nobody cares about either of those bowls. Yeah, it doesn't it matter which on one disappears.
1: No, that's what I'm saying. So uh, it's <laughs> not like I mean, people act like we keep keep tacking on, and we could we could end up with 43. But I don't. I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of them go away. Do you have any interest in a football game on Wrigley Field?
2: No. Well, I really don't either. Well, I mean, to me, it's. I mean, it's another bowl game. Well, I mean, the Bears played there like 50 years ago. I mean, I mean, yeah. like I mean, it's been done before. It's not like it's a new. It's a, it's a new thing. So I mean, I, to me. As a fan going to watch the game, I don't think I would rather be in a football stadium than I would in a baseball stadium. I think it'd be it might be fun just to go to it, cause say you've done it, but I mean, as far as watching the game, it's it's going to be an odd angle for a lot of people.
1: Well, and like if you look at the new of Pinstripe Bowl that happens in Yankee Stadium every year, uh, that is an odd situation to me. The way it, now they've improved it some, they figured some things out, but that first year they did it, um, and then there was one if y'all remember. I don't remember if it was the first time they did Pinstripe Bowl. There was one they did in a stadium. It's been about five or six years ago, It's probably where both teams were on the same sideline because there yeah. wasn't room for them. That, on the that was at San Francisco. Okay, yeah. At the, um,
2: at the pack or the the Giants Stadium. Okay. P and C. Yes. Uh, Petco, is? isn't it? No, no that's uh, San, San Diego. Diego. Oh. Uh,
1: pac Bell. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah. That, so I mean, the weird stuff like that. I mean, I guess that's again, that's not the end of the world. But it's just I don't know. Uh, it's I don't know. It doesn't really matter to me if they play in baseball stadiums or not. But. Um, uh, like I said, I'd like to get into the Baylor stuff, but we'll save that for another show when we do Baylor because I'd kind of like to join that together. Uh, is there any other topics you guys want to talk about this week before we get into this interview with TCU? No, no, no. All right, guys. Now we're going to get into the Horn Frogs a little bit here, and uh, joining us is Melissa Treebwasser from Fogs of War. Say hello, Melissa. Hello. If you could uh, let everybody know um, where, where all they could find you and find your account, personal account, if you want to share, that's fine. If not, yeah, that's fine, too. Yeah.
3: Uh, find us on Twitter at the Coach Melissa and at Frog's Awards, the best place to track me down.
1: Yep. And uh, I think most people are pretty familiar with y'all. Are, I don't know how many followers you have. I haven't looked, but um, I know everybody seems to know who you are, who I talk to. And like I said, I think I told you last time, your logo is by far my favorite of the SB oh, oh. Nation logos. So. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. It's uh, an
3: outstanding one. Yeah. I mean, the site's been really successful. You know, obviously, TC is a small uh, community and a small alumni base, but um, we're we're proud of what we do, and and we seem to be kind of the number one uh, social media wise. We have the most followers of any of the TCU specific sites, so we're really proud of that.
0: They have a few more followers than us. Oh, I'm sure they way. have a lot more than us. But <laughs> I,
1: I the and the thing is too, like we've tried to plug into TCU as much as we can, uh, and we've used you guys in just about all of that. Anytime we could, you know, reference something or. I don't know. Share an article, or say, "Hey, go read this," or you know, it's pretty much been you guys. So we really appreciate what awesome. you guys are doing over yeah, there. Yeah,
3: we appreciate that too. We just got followed by Matt Carpenter today, so we kind of feel yeah. like we've hit the big time now. Yeah. And, and we're, you know, it's it's only a matter of time before we're too big for those you guys. It's fine. <laughs> it's, it's all right. It'll be okay if you leave <laughs> us behind. We'll be we'll be pulling for you.
1: <laughs> well, the first thing I want to know, and. um, I I have a feeling you're probably getting tired of getting asked this question at some point. Um, I, I got a feeling you're going to get tired of getting a lot of the questions that we have to ask, I would think, because some of them, <laughs> some of them are kind of rather obvious, I would say. Um, but just my question, because I haven't really heard anything, and I don't know what they've released out of there. I know they're not the, the best at releasing information, but have you heard anything on the update of Justin Rogers given the quarterback situation? Uh, is he going to be ready to go this season and compete for that job or not?
3: Yeah, so, you know, like you said, is not known for sharing information, especially in- injury information. Um, I remember a couple of years ago going into the 2015 season when James McFarland stepped on a sprinkler. And everyone was like, oh, he'll be ready by game one. And it was oh, he'll be ready by game two. And pretty soon the entire season had passed and, and James didn't play a snap. So um, Patterson is notorious for keeping things close to the vest. Um, but from everything we've heard from Justin is very, very encouraging. Um, I don't think it's going to be his job on day one I don't think he's going to be ready to compete for the starting QB job, you know, at, in fall camp, but with the new red shirt rule going into effect, I highly anticipate that we are going to see some Justin Rogers somewhere over the course of this season. Um, whether that's late in the year, whether that's in maybe, uh, uh, you know, an Oklahoma game or a Texas game or an Ohio state might be a little early for him or a bowl game. Um, I do expect to see him on the field kind of the way that we saw Sean Robinson last year, but, the other kind of uh, wrench in that is that Michael Collins, the transfer from Penn, has come in and made a really, really positive impression so far. And Patterson seems to love this kid. Uh, really intelligent, obviously. He was at the Wharton School, so, you know, one of the best business schools in the country, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of was a preferred walk on situation. And, and TCU football has been really impressed by what he brings to the table. So I think Sean Robinson's the starter on day one. I think Michael Collins is QB2 in game one. And I think that we see Justin Rogers, maybe October, November, December for a game or two here and there to kind of get his feet wet before we have an incredible QB competition in 2019.
2: Okay. Yeah. You, you bring up a good, good point. Um, I'm just kind of curious what you think about this, with this new red shirt rule going into effect, we kind of had a debate last week on the show, kind of wondering about how different coaches might use this rule. Um, you know, you know Gary Patterson pretty well, like with his personality stuff. Do you think he's a big guy that's going to fire him out there early, or do you think maybe he'll wait towards the end of the season to start using using up those four games?
3: I think that's a great question. Um, it's been one of the fascinating transitions of joining the Big Twelve is seeing how Gary Patterson has used two freshmen. Um, TCU was recruiting at a Mountain West level for years and years, and doing so very successfully, and then going to play in bowl games against bigger programs and Power Five programs and beating guys that you know these four and five star recruits with his two and three star guys. Well, now he's recruiting the four stars and the high three stars and the superstars out of high school, and so there's more of an impetus to want to get those guys on the field. You couple that with the injuries that the frogs have endured over the last couple of seasons, especially since 2014, and there have been more freshmen playing in meaningful football games in the last three or four years than probably in the 10 years prior to that. Um, because he was the guy who brought guys in, redshirted them, developed them. Um, most of his star players were position switches, and so it took a little bit of extra time. Well, now he's recruiting four-star wide receivers to play wide receivers. He's recruiting four-star DTs to play DT. And so um, you see a lot more of those guys getting on the field, except maybe in the trenches. Um, but a guy like Kay Barber, who was an early enrollee, He's kind of a Cavante Turpin type player, maybe even a little bit bigger and, and thicker and just as fast. He's going to get on the field. He's not probably not a guy that's going to only play in four games, but he's a guy that's going to play. Um, and I think there's quite a few of them. Where it might be interesting is, is maybe a Ben Wilson. who's a, a true freshman linebacker who came in the summer. You know, he he may not be ready to play full-time linebacker. They may not need him. But he may come in situationally or in specific games, or maybe he has a really good matchup against another team. So, Patterson has ha- kind of had to go away from his philosophy of not wanting to play true freshman to being forced to play true freshman mm-hmm. and now having talented true freshmen that can compete with his juniors and seniors for meaningful playing time. So, I think we will see a lot of this year's recruiting class, which was – The best that the frogs have had um, in their history on the field utilizing that four game scenario probably later in the year
0: all right well moving from a quarterback injury to a running back injury last year darius anderson stepped in early in the season and was great and went down late in the season against oklahoma with a foot injury how's he doing and where do you think he stands in the uh, big 12 running backs
3: uh, I mean, he's, he's one of the top two or three. Um, you know, I, I think that if he's healthy and by all accounts, he is 100% raring to go. Stuff we've seen on social media. I mean, that dude looks ready to play football um, by just in, in every aspect. So, um, but I think you obviously, you know, Rodney Anderson up at OU is, is one of the best players in the conference. Um, and his name is escaping me in this moment. I just wrote about him, though, uh, at Iowa State. David Montgomery. Um, yes, thank you. Um, so, you know, with those, those are probably your top three running backs in the conference. Um, None of them would surprise me being the best one. Um, The the difference for Darius versus maybe um, Rodney or Montgomery is going to be offensive line and quarterback play. Mm -hmm. Darius is going to have to make a lot more plays himself because he's got a less experienced offensive line in front of him than the other two teams do, and he's got a less experienced quarterback. You know, obviously, um, Kyler played a little bit last year, but wasn't the starter. But he still probably has more game experience than Sean Robinson does overall. So uh, he is uber, uber talented. Um, him getting hurt against Oklahoma was just a devastating blow to TCU. Um if the offensive line can gel early enough, he has a chance to not just be one of the best running backs in the conference, but but maybe one of the top running backs in the country if everything breaks right for him.
0: I would agree. It's It's been kind of weird just in a part of the country we live here in here in Oklahoma. It seems like he's been almost forgotten. I haven't heard anything mm-hmm. about him in the whole offseason.
1: No. and Well, and what I want to know too is how, how good is this – I I'm going to screw this name up, but Siwo Olanulia, <laughs> I'm going to say.
3: Siwo <laughs> uh, I would have had it if you hadn't said it. <laughs> that sounds um, good. He, man, he he reminds TCU fans, unfortunately, a lot of Trevor Johnson. Um, he should be the thunder to uh, Darius Anderson's lightning, um, and and I think he's kind of figured that out. When Anderson went down last year, he took up a much bigger role, and the guy is six three. 235 and still runs like a four or five forty or just something ridiculous mm-hmm. I, I was joking with one of the guys on the site the other day that if he wanted to play linebacker he'd be an all-american like he just has those kinds of physical gifts but he wants to be a running back and um he worked his freshman year he tried to do too much toe tapping and dancing around and you know a guy that big just isn't gonna be able to get to the edge consistently um, and last year, towards the end of the season especially, he really worked on being more of a more south runner and picking a spot, showed a lot more patience in the hole, and got so much better over the course of the season. He has talent. He has a little bit of a fumbling issue, or he's had a little bit of a fumbling issue. And so if he cleans that up, he should be the legit number two. And uh, Patterson, Sonny Cumbie, Curtis Looper, they don't want to give one running back 30 carries a game. They want to give one running back Fifteen carries a game, and they want to give Turpin three carries out of the backfield. And they'd like to get Shea and and maybe uh, in Franklin, a true freshman. Then um, we also have a transfer, a JUCO transfer, coming in as well. They'd like to give those guys each, you know, five to seven, five to eight carries as well. So um, they could be a really, really exceptional one-two punch, especially if Wu can work on a, can be more involved in the passing game. But one of his best assets and something that he did really well, especially in the Arkansas game last year, is, is as a blocker, as a lead blocker. Um, and running out of the wildcat, he's pretty effective as well. So he, he has a chance to be really good. Um, you know, Maybe not not the overall skill set of, of Darius in front of him, but a guy that can really affect defenses and change the pace of the game quickly.
1: Okay.
2: Speaking of Turpin, you brought his name up. You know, we've been saying here, like especially last year, that We'd like to see him get his hands on the ball more because he's Mm -hmm. so explosive. When he gets in the open field, he's got that chance to break any one of them. Do do you think maybe this year are they going to put an emphasis more on getting him the ball and space and letting him do his thing?
3: The problem with Turpin is the dude weighs like 160 pounds. Right, right. And and so you know and he's he's been fortunate that he hasn't had a lot of significant injuries, but he's been banged up each of the last two seasons. And so I think that the offense is really particular about the situations that get him the ball in, because if he has 12 to 15 touches a game, he's not going to play 12, 13 games. There's just no way. Um, he'll just get too banged up. And I think he's put on some good weight. You know, or, yeah, he's 100. He's five nine, 157 pounds. So how much do you really want that guy yeah. to have the ball in his hands? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's really the question is just to preserve his explosiveness. So I do think we'll see him more involved. Um, having Tay Barber on the other side should kind of take some of the the focus of the defenses off of Turpin if, if Barber lives up to his expectations. Um, but it's that same thing. You know, you want to give him two to three carries out of the backfield or in a jet sweep type situation, and you want to give him four or five, maybe six targets in the passing game and then still have him fresh for punt and kick return. So um, one of the most dangerous weapons in the country, but you have to be so, so careful how you deploy it because you don't want to get him overexposed and risk injury.
1: Well, and the one thing, I, I guess this is kind of a broad question and maybe kind of hard to answer, but uh, obviously I've got, from what I can tell looking at it, you guys lost four starting offensive linemen, is that correct?
3: Um, four that were the starters to start the season because okay. of injuries most of the guys behind him have played a little bit
1: and, and yes. no and no boom the tackle obviously he's gone yep
3: he's gone
1: and uh, uh it sounds like the interior is kind of being the hole that you're gonna have to fill um first of all you guys got a pretty big and i'm, I'm had his name and i lost it the the uh Anthony
3: mckinney yeah
1: mckinney is he is he kind of living up to expectations to fill in the tackle spot and then what do you guys think he'll do from there
3: yeah i mean i think mckinney is probably um he was second on the depth start coming out of the spring but i think that is as much um, to do with Patterson likes to to keep the the new guys a little bit humble coming in and wants them to earn their way. I I would be shocked if he's not starting in some form or fashion um, by game one or at least game two. Um, Outside of that, you know, I think the biggest question mark right now is probably at the center position. Is it going to be Wes Harris, um, who is a a freshman who has looked really, really good at times? um, Or is it going to be Kelton Hollins, who's a redshirt sophomore, maybe a little bit more experienced? Outside of that, you've got um, Cordell Iwagawu and uh, Lucas Niang coming back. Both of those guys have played quite a bit. Austin Myers played quite a bit, um, and you also have David Bolosomi, who um, I think everyone's kind of been waiting for him to break out. Uh, this should could should be the year that he breaks out. Um, and you also have some really nice kind of rotational players that are that are really flexible. And um, Trey Ellis and uh, Ian Burnett is a true freshman who, who looks like he could play. I mean. There and Lucas Niang. I don't think I mentioned Lucas Niang. He's he's been uh, he's the one returning starter. Um, and Quazel White is another is red shirt freshman from Washington who looked really really good um, on the practice squad last year. Could be an impact player. So, uh, the talent is there, the size is absolutely there. This is the biggest group of guys that Patterson's been able to throw out probably since he's been at TCU. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all know the offensive lines are only as good as their chemistry. Mm-hmm. So, will they be able to gel quickly? Um, will they be able to play as a unit quickly? Will they stay healthy so that they? develop some consistency because as talented as last year's group was they were never on the field together um and, and that really was kind of detrimental um, to a quarterback like kenny hill and and having some consistency and and some continuity with that offensive line would be a big help for a young inexperienced quarterback and in sean robinson
1: yeah, and what you know—that's one thing we've talked about too. That you brought up the size. Uh, we've had it, I think, on last year's shows. We were talking about just how much bigger the offensive line, especially at tackle. It just seems like everybody's got a six foot seven, three hundred and fifty pound yeah. tackle, and that just never used to be the case. So, um, I mean, you guys have done so much better in recruiting. I know the last two years, especially. Uh, so that's that's definitely got to be a, a side of that. You guys have a Big Twelve offensive line finally, and I don't think that's always been yeah. the case since you came into the conference. All right, so you know, looking at this. Um, experience on this team they return again it depends on what you go off of but roughly people have them somewhere where there's about 15 teams below them uh in the country as far as returning experience goes and most of that is you know missing from the offense uh some people have you down as only returning two starters which I know that can be kind of you know you could maybe have one more guy a starter or here a starter or there but uh is that you know is that all worry you is the recruiting been enough in the last couple years that you feel like that's going to be okay you know what's your feelings on that
3: I mean, I definitely feel like I should be more concerned than I am. Um, you know, I, I think that the Frogs, again, depending on what metric you go by, return the least amount of starters of anyone in the conference and, and one of the least in the country, as you said. Um, but, you know, it, I think that so many of these guys have gotten experience due to injuries, and especially on the offensive side of the ball, it's just not that much of a concern because the the way that Sonny Cumbie and Curtis Cooper call a game, it's not like there's one guy, um, you know, Josh Dawson or someone like that who's going to get 15 targets a game. There's... 10 guys that are going to get, you know, six to eight targets a game. And so um, losing, you know, John D'Arce, who's one of the most reliable receivers, um, losing Kenny Hill, which, you know, some Frog fans are celebrating and some are bemoaning, depending on <laughs> who you talk to, um, those are big losses. And the offensive line, as is, is we discussed in detail, um, you know, that's probably the most concerning aspect. But, you know, the, the offense returns most of their most dynamic players with – Jalen Rager, who I think is going to be an All-Conference receiver this year, and, and maybe one of the top in the country, is a sophomore. Kalante Turpin, um, who seems to be in year 32 or something, it yeah, I know. he's I, know, I just will will not finish his eligibility, and we're so happy for it. Um, he he comes back. Uh, you've got a couple of guys who redshirted, um, Omar Manning. It looks like he's going to be a really good player. He was kind of the forgotten four-star talent uh, because he didn't play last year. Uh, and then you've got true freshmen like Tevalence Hunt, who looks you know, 6'3", 4'4", speed, looks to be a really, really good player. And Tay Barber, we talked about, who comes in, who's kind of the uh, next Kevante Turpin. So with Anderson and Shea Wu coming back in the backfield, there's plenty of guys, that, and Jalen uh, Austin and, and Jarrett Stewart, at wide receiver, there's plenty of guys who have played meaningful snaps and meaningful and meaningful games um, and have made big plays. So I'm not too worried on the offensive side of the ball. And defensively, you're replacing some uh, huge, huge numbers, especially at linebacker. So that's a little bit of a different scenario. But on offense, I, I think TCU should be okay with the young talent they've been able to bring in and the experience of the guys coming back.
2: So uh, speaking with the wide receivers, did, did the coach staff go out and buy like a few cases of Stickum or pine tar or something? Cause they, oh, <laughs> I know last I year they, that, yeah. they really struggled. I think they led the nation in drops last year. Yeah. I mean, have, have they done some things to kind of help correct that this, this season?
3: You know, that's that's an interesting thing to, to talk about because you, the drops can be affected by so many things, but at the end of the day, TC wide receivers just dropped way too many balls um, and that was definitely a problem and it, and it made you know negatively impacted Kenny Hill in the way that he was viewed also so um, I think that you know a lot of that was youth, and, and hopefully a lot of those things have been corrected um, and that they're a little bit better this year and then you know I think that there's some technique that can be adjusted also and the way that, that Kenny Hill threw the ball, um, sometimes he was just off by, like, six inches. Like, he had a six-inch accuracy problem. And so I don't know that Sean Robinson's necessarily going to be more accurate than he is. I think he throws a better deep ball. Um, and so I think we'll, we'll solve a lot of that problem. But hopefully we see, you know, maybe maybe a different ball, a different quarterback, a different release point. Helps ease some of those drop issues that have plagued TCU for the last two years
1: uh you uh, going to the defensive side of the ball the, the the defensive line you guys return a few big names that you know I think you're going to fill in and do okay but uh is that all worry you that you lost a good pass rusher in Bozen
3: yeah I mean losing Bozen is, is tough he was so dynamic and so important for TCU but the fact that Ben Banigou came back kind of recovers for that pretty well uh, he should be uh, one of the best pass rushers in the country this year if he lives up to to his ability and builds off of his first year at TCU, he he's just such a game changer. Uh, and Ty Summers comes back; he's another another guy that can get to the QB from the linebacker position, um, and and should really help out. That the thing that that makes us feel a little bit better about the defensive end position is the defensive tackle position. Uh, Ross Blacklock, Corey Bethley, Joseph Broadnax, all back. Um, and should be just absolutely dominant on the interior of the defensive line, which is going to give Ben Banigou plenty of opportunity to get to the quarterback. And then the Frogs also bring back LJ Collier, who is a really steady player who has more potential than he's shown. Um, Gary Overshone, who is as a sophomore should be much better this year. Um, and Michael Epley last year when uh, uh, Boson was out uh, for the suspension, or for the injury, I can't remember which one, he was really good, too, shockingly good. He's not a guy that you want to play 60 snaps a game. But if you need him to go make a couple of plays off the edge, he's shown a good ability to contain. So uh, the defensive line should be better than, next, than last year's for sure, even having lost Matt Boson, The question is going to be who steps up to replace Traven Howard at the linebacker position. Okay, I don't have anything else now. <laughs> hey, did you get
2: that? No, that's fine. It was good. Okay. He, he was sitting on a Howard no, he was, uh, Yeah, he was asking who, who was going to take his spot. No, that's fine. No, <laughs> oh, that's well, fine.
3: That's, I mean, I haven't answered that oh, yeah. yet, so right. we can talk linebacker for sure. Um, Wait, st- sticking, with de- <laughs> sticking with defense, who steps up in the place of Traven Howard? defense. I mean, that's that's a great question. Um, you know, he is the most productive defensive player of the Gary Patterson era. And that's saying something when you look at some of the guys that have come through the program. So uh we were all kind of thinking that maybe this was the year Montrell Wilson finally broke out. Garrett Wallow, uh, who was a true freshman last year, moves down a level from safety the linebacker and Patterson has been raving about him. Um kind of a a similar player to Ty Summers. He's a real heady guy, maybe not the fastest, but he's just gonna beat you to the spot that you want to go because he's going to know where you want to go before you know. Um, but the really, really interesting and exciting thing that has TCU fans feeling a lot more relief is that Juwan uh, Johnson decided to transfer from Northern Illinois University to TCU as a graduate transfer. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most productive linebackers in the country last year for NIU. Slot him into the middle of the 4 He is fast. He's aggressive. He wraps up well. Um, he could be a hundred tackle player for TCU and his one year of eligibility should really, really help ease the transition away from Travon Howard.
1: On the back end, you guys returned quite a bit of experience from what I could tell, right? You guys feel pretty good there?
3: Yeah. I mean, we, we lost, um, Anthony Tejada is probably the most underappreciated defensive player in the big 12 of the last mm-hmm. five years. Dude's tiny, like undoubtedly, He's not a big guy, but, All he did was make plays and keep teams from throwing to his side of the field. I mean, he shut down top receiver after top receiver. He got lit up a little bit in the first half against Iowa State. And, like, everybody on the TC defense got lit up against Oklahoma twice. But if you look outside of those instances, he was so, so good. I mean, he held uh, the SMU receiver, Cortland Sutton, to no like one catch for negative one yards, so and that you know that guy was like a, went the first three rounds of the draft, one of the best receivers in the country, um, so he was really really underrated, underappreciated. So, TCU is going to count on a couple of guys to step up to fill his spot. Uh, Jeff Gladney and Julius Lewis are the two most likely candidates. Neither one of them has been able to to stay healthy, so hopefully that those are the guys kind of bracketing your defense. And then the Frogs also have a couple of of young uh, sophomores and and even a couple of true freshmen that could compete for snaps at the corner position. Safety, I feel fine. Um, I feel really, really good about Ennis Gaines. He's one of my favorite players on the team, one of my favorite players to come through. I've been predicting a breakout season for him for the last two years. And and finally, at the end of last season, he really showed what he was capable of. I think he's going to be a superstar. Um, And Nico Small comes back. Markel Simmons comes back. Vernon Scott comes back. So there's plenty of talent on the back end of that defense that should hopefully make up for the youth at, at the corner position. It's going to come down to how much time does the quarterback have to throw, and hopefully that won't be very much.
1: How, how good do you feel about this defense's ability? And I know you're just guessing at this, but just do you do you think they have the ability to kind of keep things in check early while there's a chance the offense may be having to figure some things out?
3: Yeah, um, I, I think that's a, that's a really fair statement. I think that this defense is more talented, than last year's defense which was very very good the question is will they have the system down as well as last year's unit did um i think that they'll be just fine obviously against southern and against smu uh the first test is going to come against ohio state in week three and then they turn around and you know we're going to have a defensive slugfest against texas in week four and so Having those two big games come, you know, weeks three and four will be a real huge test for this unit. And you hope that, let's say, you know, worst case scenario, they go out and they get lit up by the Buckeyes, that they don't lose their confidence going into conference play. Or maybe they come out and they make a real statement against the Buckeyes. And all of a sudden now you've got a, a team that's got a little bit of energy and a little bit of, of good ego and can go on a nice roll through the this part of their schedule.
1: Um, I asked this question and just now it popped in my head. I asked this question a couple of episodes ago, cause we do a little thing where I like to ask questions that they don't know are coming. Uh, and we play a little game like that. And I just remembered this question. I'm going to ask you since you're from TCU. Sure. Um, and uh, again, this may be something you're guessing at. You may have a strong feeling about, you may not, I don't know, but you know, they've come close to one of the big 12 a couple times in recent years. I think it was it 15. And then last year, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it, do you feel like quarterback play, has been the biggest it, basically if they had a game changer at quarterback they would have been able to win the big 12 do you feel like it's just that simple are they prepared everywhere else to where because some of these guys are especially talking about the quarterbacks you guys are recruiting now and the ones you just brought in and rogers could be that kind of guy do you feel like that is all it's the missing piece and you guys have recruited well enough to kind of pull that off
3: you know it's 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 a tough question because i think that kenny hill has been given such a bad rap by tcu fans and that if you were to put any other big 12 quarterback outside of Baker Mayfield behind center for the frogs the last couple of years, the results wouldn't have been that much different. Um, he was a little bit turnover prone and he made some bad mistakes at the worst possible time, but he wasn't the reason TCU didn't win some of those games. You know, I think that was a little bit unfair. I think that um, the, the frogs have been hit with injuries so much since 2014. I mean, they've they've. You know, we've done the stats a couple of times, and just one of the, the programs that's had more starters miss games than anybody. And so um, if everybody stays healthy last year, they still lose to Oklahoma twice. It's just they're probably just a little bit of a closer game. If if Sean Robinson is a senior or Justin Rogers is a junior as a starting QB, they're still probably losing to Oklahoma twice. I mean, mm-hmm. n- nobody in the conference was taking down that that Baker Mayfield machine when it was rolling. Um, outside of maybe Iowa State. But, um, <laughs> it, you know, I, I just I don't think that, that the Frogs were, they weren't that far behind, but they weren't that close either in that situation. Um, but I think that having a dynamic, game changing quarterback like we had in Trayvon Boykin can elevate a team that is maybe slightly above average or good in other areas to being great overall. Um, maybe, maybe Kenny Hill drags that young wide receiving core, you know, if he, maybe if he's, if Trayvon Boykin does more with that wide receiving core than, than Kenny Hill did. But, um, Sean Robinson, the one thing that he is that, that maybe Hill wasn't kind of, he kind of has that it factor. Mm -hmm. And I never really got that from Kenny. Um, just Mm -hmm. that, that little bit of extra leadership ability that I think is really crucial in a young locker room, especially. And Justin Rogers absolutely has it too. So uh, I don't think 2018 is the year that the Frogs make a push for the college football playoff, but I really strongly think 2019 could be. And then we could be looking at a, a three- or four-year stretch where maybe TCU is right there for a Big 12 title or playing in a Big 12 title game, assuming everything else breaks light, right? Uh, the talent's there. The defense is always going to be good or good enough at the very least. The question is going to be, you know, where, what do other teams have at some of those crucial positions? And is TCU able to keep up offensively? Um, We're not going to get, you know, that I don't know that we're ever going to have a, I don't even know who you would compare it to, but one of those super duper star five star quarterbacks that comes in that's, you know, going to be gone in three years and, and just looks the part of an NFL player on day one. But I think that we're having now where we're getting really, really good quarterbacks that can be, you know, second team, all conference and elevate the rest of the really high level talent around them.
2: I am sitting here looking at your schedule coming up and you you have a really interesting schedule because the vast majority of your tough games are either neutral field in Arlington or at home, the vast majority of them. Like your your two toughest role games are West Virginia and at Texas. Everybody else is coming to to Fort Worth. Do you think that's really going to help these young kids, you know, be able to play at home against a lot of the tougher teams in the league?
3: Yeah. I mean, TCU plays in the state of Texas, I think for all but two games at West Virginia and at Kansas. Um, and so that should be a real help. Um, but, you know, some of these road games are still going to be tough. I, it doesn't matter that we're playing 30 minutes from TCU's campus against Ohio State. TCU has 88,000 living alumni. Ohio State has like 50,000 undergrads there's going to be mm-hmm. a 65 35 split in that stadium it's going to be an Ohio State home game everyone's gonna say oht2 fans don't show up no there's just like nine of us so oh. I mean, what, well before you guys what do you want us to do I, I remember
1: before there was times where like Oklahoma would travel down to, to Fort Worth in the early you know early yeah. when you guys first got and here, and you would see stadiums. more Oklahoma fans than anything else I mean yeah. or at least a big portion of it.
3: Yeah, and that's, you know, that's what a lot of people don't understand. You know, one, one of the things that, that the geniuses on Twitter always throw at us is, well, you don't have 100,000 people to play in front of them. That'd be dumb. We don't have 100,000 yeah. alumni, you know, like, uh-huh. that's why we have a small stadium is we are trying to make it a TCU home field advantage. So all that to say, um, yeah, I mean, the schedule plays out really nicely yet there's still going to be some tough games. Um, You know, if you look at some of the timing of this, there's a Thursday night game against Texas tech. I don't care where that game is played. If you're playing Texas tech on a Thursday night, something crazy is going to happen. It Mm, always does. Um, Going to Kansas in late October, it's kansas and they're terrible but you don't know what kind of weird weather situations you could have and then of course at west virginia in november is is going to be a horrifying game um just all the way around so uh, the schedule breaks well for a young team but again it's that same thing it's like you know i would rather have this schedule in 2019 when the team isn't quite so young and some of these players are hitting their peak, but just that's just kind of the way the cookie crumbles. So, um, should be should be a good layout for TCU to do some damage. Maybe maybe things break the right way. Maybe Sean Robinson adjusts earlier, and you know maybe this can be a ten win team.
0: Yeah, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I saw something earlier this year on Twitter that there could be some renovations coming to the stadium down there. Is that correct? Yeah.
3: Um. Uh, the the parting gift that Chris Del Conti gave us on his way. Uh, to texas was setting up this uh this new stadium renovation and so you know we joined the big 12 we opened up the new amon carter which is it's just an amazing stadium i've been to a lot of stadiums um i really have and and it is bias aside it's one of those beautiful places i've ever watched a college football game it's it's just ideal there's so much space and you can walk through the halls and you know go into ou stadium and, and every level is 50 50 mm-hmm. rows takes forever to get up there tcu there's nothing more than like 30 rows super Mm. super easy um but now what what's happened is as tcu has grown in stature and and grown in national prominence uh they they, of course they want more money and so um we have one side of the stadium has been boxes and suites and now the other side of the stadium for 2019 is going to be boxes and suites as well so if you've got i think twenty thousand dollars you can buy into one of those um to buy you can buy one of those to buy your season tickets um i don't have that so i won't be doing it if but, i had 20 grand uh, i
1: don't think we'd be talking
3: <laughs> yeah i know no, no, if i could just write a check for 20 grand today mm-hmm. um but you know I, I think it'll be really nice um it's it's an interesting scenario there's very mixed feelings about it because i mean you guys know the more corporate money that you bring into a university the less it's geared towards the fan experience and mm-hmm. i think to this point tcu has done a really really good job of taking care of the students and making them a priority in the games and taking care of the fans and making them a priority in the games. Uh, but the more of this stuff starts to change, the more the, the, the more the environment starts to feel less like a college football game and more like a bowl game. You know, the bowl game, the entire lower bowl, is all just people who are wealthy and don't care necessarily about the games. And when, it's in, when you're playing Southern at 11 a.m. in September in Texas, those people aren't coming to that game. Mm-hmm. You know, man. it's only the true diehard fans. And so – I think it's going to be a real challenge for our new athletic director uh, who's been here since December, Jeremiah Notti, to make sure that the fans don't get forgotten as TCU's stature continues to grow nationwide.
1: I got one last question, I, um, and it may just have to be your opinion, but I feel like you talked to enough TCU fans, you can probably speak for a lot of them. Um, where are the expectations in this program? And, I, and in, First of all, a game like Ohio State, um you know a game going into like that especially knowing where the team is and experience things like that are the expectations have, has TCU reached the point to where they feel like they're you know the expectations should be the biggest and the best every year you know because i have this argument with some other big 12 fans mm-hmm. just you know it's all over the place they they don't think they're any good or they never win <laughs> our history we're always getting beat or you know whatever it is has this program won enough uh in recent years and with this coach to believe that anytime they go on the field they got a shot
3: yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I don't I don't think TCU fans will be shocked if we lose to Ohio State in Week 3, especially because of how many important pieces are, are being replaced. But I think the expectation now, and, and as, as it has been for almost two decades under Gary Patterson, is every time TCU goes out onto the field, they're going to compete. And they're not going to get blown out very often. And it's been very, very rare that TCU has gotten blown out. Um, unless you take the two games from Oklahoma last year out. But just take those out. They don't count. Um, So, you know, I I think that that you expect T.C. to be ready to play every opponent they're going to play. Gary Patterson is is great at building a game plan. I think you expect the defense to be able to match up, which is about everybody that you play. Um, I don't think that people are thinking legitimately, hey, this is a national championship season. But I think people would be disappointed and frustrated if the Frogs weren't at least in the mix to make it back to Arlington for a Big 12 championship game in November. Okay. And and I think that's kind of where we are. And so um, getting so close to the mountaintop in 2014 is so difficult. I mean, we still bemoan that moment, you know, all of these years later, because we know how hard it is for a school like TCU to get to that point, mm-hmm. you know, and to be that close and to have it slip out of your hands like that without your control is something that I think has really kind of burned a fire and, and not just fans, but and Gary Patterson as well. And I think that we all believe that, that TCU can be a national champion before Gary Patterson steps away. But we also know that a lot of things have to break right for that to happen. And so um, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I think this season is a most fans, if if, you, if they were being honest, would say seven to nine wins. That would be great. We'd be ecstatic with that. But those years have to – 10 wins is kind of the expectation in Fort Worth now. And more often than not, Patterson gets in there.
1: Mm-hmm. You guys got anything else for her? Did you jockstrap your yeah. questions? Yeah. All right. Jockstrap's got a couple questions for you.
3: Yeah. All right. Okay. Did you find them?
1: I didn't screen these either, so I apologize ahead of time. I don't know what he's going to ask you. I am a
3: high school teacher. I'm prepared for anything. Oh, okay, There's good. My life. <laughs> have you rode the mechanical bull at Gillies? <laughs> I have not rode it rode it at Gillies, but I have rode it, ridden it at Billy Bob's in Fort Worth. <laughs> Being a TCU alumni... Will you watch a Matthew McConaughey movie? <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you this much: um, it was a lot easier to watch them six years ago, and then it got a little bit tougher. We joined the conference, hmm. but frankly, I mean, Texas hasn't really been anywhere close to TCU the last four games we played. So, oh, nice. and, and unless they start beating us again, which we'll see. Uh, I mean, I guess they're back. Texas is back. Yeah, but unless you start beating us again, I'm not too worried about it. Matthew McConaughey, he's a pretty good actor. (laughs)
1: Except for the stupid Lincoln commercials or whatever they are.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's not acting. The problem is is when he's himself, he's terrible. Mm -hmm. When he's acting, he's perfectly fine. (laughs) Okay, the last one is, have you ever held a horned frog? No, and this is such a sensitive topic for me because it is one of my dreams in life. All of my friends that grew up in Texas, Grew up with horn frogs in their backyards, and if they all have pictures with them, and they've all touched them, every time I go to the stinking zoo, I don't even get to see them. So, <laughs> no, it is on my bucket list of things to do. someday I'm going to hold a horn frog. I, it will happen, but it, yeah, it's a very it's a point of contention in my life currently. I
1: don't, I don't think I've never seen one in person. I can't. I haven't think either. No. I think just Twitter videos and stuff like that. I think it's yeah. the first time I've seen I mean, one.
3: Apparently, they were everywhere when um like my friends were kids like but now they're a little bit more of an endangered species or something i guess hmm.
2: okay you guys got anything else from melissa no thank you no i just thought uh, i just want to put, put a plug in for like go read some of our articles they're great articles they're they're mm-hmm. fun to read and they, she's got a little Starky comments in there that are really great so they're 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 <laughs> a fun read to go to go uh so go to fogs of war and, and read some yeah. i
3: appreciate that we're, we're excited we just added two riders to our staff um that we're really excited about so I think that TCU football, basketball, baseball should all go into the season ranked. That's always you guys know. The better the teams are, the better it is for your side. So we're really excited about the next year.
1: All right. Well, thanks for joining us. you want to go ahead and plug your uh, your spots where people can come find you again one more time?
3: Yeah. Uh, at the Coach Melissa on Twitter, at Frogs of War on Twitter, www.frogsowar.com. Check us out.
1: All right. Thanks, Melissa. We'll, well talk thank to you, you soon. Share. We appreciate it. Thanks.
3: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right. Okay.
1: Bye. 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 All right, guys, uh, thanks to Melissa again for joining us. You guys, anything you want to comment on what she said or anything?
2: Uh, I I I really enjoyed the interview. Uh, she gave me a lot of insight on some things that, that – uh, well, I mean, I never really thought about TCU's fan base being so small. I mean, she really brought up, like, how, how much smaller her, their alumni base is, mm-hmm. you know it's kind of one of those things where when you watch a tv sometimes at the games you see smaller numbers but when she brings that up it, oh yeah that totally makes sense mm-hmm. and i but uh i know they're a passionate fan base and i know that they they love their school very much and uh but i i as one thing i took away that oh yeah, it's kind of like one of those light bulb moments of
1: oh that makes sense so mm-hmm. you got anything else anything she said you want to comment on
0: no uh, no um Personally, I had I just honestly forgotten about Darius Anderson. And last year, I was super impressed by the guy. And for him to not even really be talked about, I mean, there's clearly a top tier of running backs in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. It's been Justice Hill, Rodney Anderson, and David Montgomery. I think he belongs in there. Absolutely. From what I, from what I saw last year, I think he's going to finish there at least.
1: I think the, I think uh, anybody hesitating on him, it has to be the offensive line issues.
0: Yeah, yeah, and because, I can see that,
1: um, just, and the quarterback. Yeah, yeah, you wonder how much is it going to be all him? You know, is it going to have to be all him, and what does that look like, and how you know how much you know, how much uh, success do they have with that? Um, I don't. We'll, we'll, I I'll be honest. The uh, Robinson, the quarterback. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I wasn't very impressed last year, and I know the situations he came in weren't always ideal. I think once against Oklahoma for a little bit if I remember right I yeah, think he did struggle with quarter, accuracy for sure um you know I remember watching him recruit and coming to the and I watched him play at the army all-american game and all that and I just the longer it's gone the less impressed I've been with the kid I don't I and I fully I fully expect somebody else to be playing there before the season's over I don't know how that's going to look obviously if it's the uh you know the transfer she talked about or not but well, you know, just, he hasn't impressed me, but he could have a really great off season. Well, know. it's
2: one of those things too. Like, I remember, like when you go back to Blanket, for example, that was his junior year that that we're, he just struggled so bad. Then all of a sudden, it was like just a switch flipped. Yeah. It was like, he was like, who, who, yeah, was his sophomore, junior, but whichever way it was, I mean, it was just kind of like, who is this guy? So mm-hmm. I mean, I, I never can count a kid out till he gets enough time in there to actually prove what he can or can't do. So I. You know, I this is gonna this is gonna be his it's his it's his th- car to drive. So let's let's figure out what happens. I mean, it's it's his job to to keep or, or lose one or the other. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and she brought up a good point too. I mean, the recruiting has been so much better. They are gonna have a lot more freshmen and stuff that can step in and play that hadn't wouldn't have been able to in this program. I don't know they, five six years ago.
2: They've added so many more explosive guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, before they would have you know one wide receiver that was explosive. Now. Across across the entire wide receiver and then at the running backs, their 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 explosion is way uh, has grown tremendously over the last few years of recruiting. So they they have some home run potential this year.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, you guys, have anything else you want to add before we get out of here?
2: No. All
1: right, guys, uh, join us again next week. I think we're going to be I don't know. I think Iowa State. Maybe it's TBD. Tentatively, we're oh, still deciding that. Okay, we'll figure that out. I'll let you know on Twitter. Uh, anything else news and wise that with us we need to get out or anything okay uh we appreciate you guys listening to us um obviously you now have some choices in big 12 podcasts so we thank you for listening to us and uh, if that's all we'll, we'll see you guys later everybody say bye
2: thanks guys see you bye